If you haven't got a copy of the Bible on your phone, you might want to grab a Bible up the back. Well, church, the search committee was looking for a, a new minister. The search was on. Their old minister had gone, and they put together the committee. They put together the team. The JNC, the Joint Nominating Committee, we call it in the Uniting Church. Different traditions call them different things. But you know the committee I'm talking about, don't you? The search committee, the task with finding the next minister for the parish. It's a weighty responsibility. But this particular search committee was having trouble. This particular search committee had seemingly exhausted every opportunity. They'd searched far and wide, and they just couldn't find the right person to come and lead their particular congregation. Finally, the, the secretary of the search committee, in exasperation, said, well, look, I've got one last application here, one last letter of introduction. Would you like, me to, would you like to hear what it read? Good, I'm glad, all right. <laughs> To the parish selection committee, to the minister search team, it is my understanding that you have a vacancy and I would like to apply for the position. I can't say that I preach too well. In fact, I tend to stutter when I speak. I do have a lot of different experiences I could share with you. Since I am 80 years old, I have only just recently had an encounter with God and Despite my initial resistance to the idea, I, I heard a, a voice which told me that I was the one to come and do ministry alongside you. One never knows when God will appear right before your very eyes. Now, as far as people skills go, I, I do tend to lose my temper every once in a while. I also tend to want things done my way and can get, can get violent if it's not taken care of right away. I even once killed somebody. But since you, I know that you're a gracious people, I, I know you'll believe me when I say that that's all behind me now. I intend on showing up there in a few weeks to lead you into a brighter future. Although I was reluctant at first to work with you, I still feel called to be with you nonetheless. Well, the secretary looked up at around the group and said, well, what do you think? Well, they couldn't believe it. Faces staring back at her. What are you thinking? What could, who could possibly have the audacity to even apply someone like that? You, you must be joking me. What? This person's a, a murderer. He loses his temper. He's 80 years old. Do we really want to call such a person to our church? Who is this person? Who would possibly dare to apply? Does anyone know hazard of what the person's name was? Of course it was. You were on to me all along, weren't you? This is a story about an unlikely candidate for leadership of God's people. An extraordinarily unlikely, unqualified candidate that God is going to call, that God is going to speak to into their life. This is the last person who you would have thought had the right stuff or, or had the X factor. If it was a traditional recruitment process, Moses wouldn't have even have survived the first cull, let alone made it to interview. Nevertheless, this is the man that God calls out of the blue, out in the wilderness. 
So this morning, I want to suggest to us that God is, is still calling. God in our everyday lives, still today, is still calling you and I, transforming everything we think we know and calling you and I to partner with him to bring liberation to this land. I want to see what we might learn from Moses' famous call from this burning bush and how we might discern his call to us still today. So let's have a look at Exodus chapter 3. Open it up and, and have a look and read through. I'm going to be referring uh, to some verses on the way through, so it might be helpful if you've got it open in front of you. This is Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? And the Lord, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters and you will plunder the Egyptians. Quite a promise, isn't it? Let's pray. Loving Lord, draw near. Reveal yourself to us this morning, we pray. Just as Moses was going about his ordinary business, so too we pray that here we are once again on Sunday morning at church alongside our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we ask that once more you might reveal yourself to us, Lord. Speak to us, we pray. Break into our consciousness, we pray. Father, may my words be your words. May there be less of me and more of you in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen. If you were with us last week, you will know the story so far. You will know that Moses has been living in exile. He's a sojourner in a strange land. He's living out in the wilderness. He's living out in the middle of of nowhere. He's living out in Midian, out to the east of, of Egypt. It's a, it's a barren desert. It's, it's, it, it's a wasteland. You'll know that he was a murderer. You'll know that he fled for his life. He killed an Egyptian who was beating up one of his fellow Hebrews. You'll know that Pharaoh wants to kill him. And you'll know that he was about 40 years old when all of this has taken place. Well, skip ahead now. We know now that Moses is 80 years of age. He's been living for 40 years out in the wilderness. God has been preparing him and shaping him as we, as we heard last week. God is preparing him for this role of leadership. He's, he's married, he's started a family, and he's looking after his father-in-law's flocks and, and herds. So he, he's out doing the everyday thing, and he's a shepherd. A bit of context you need to know is that the Egyptians considered shepherds detestable. We know this from back in the Joseph story, which is how they made their way down to Egypt in the first place. Genesis chapter 46, verse 34 says, the Egyptians considered shepherds detestable, detestable. Moses at this point is the lowest of the low. He's a murderer, he's an exile, and he's a, he's a lowly shepherd looking after his, his father's sheep. He, he's out at Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. Keep that in mind. That'll be important later on in the story. But he's out in the wilderness where he would normally run the sheep and God shows up. This is an everyday... Moses wasn't looking for God. Moses wasn't looking for some mountaintop experience. He wasn't, he wasn't out there looking to, to meet with God. He, he wasn't particularly looking for God, but God nevertheless shows up. The miraculous shows up in the mundane, in his everyday 
life. I think this is the first little, first little point of application for us this morning. Uh, are we too busy? Are we too blinkered, too blinded to our everyday routine to see God at work in our, in our everyday lives? Are we, do we, are we thinking God could never show up at my workplace? God could never show up at my place. God could never show up on the, the netball court or at the bridge club, whatever it is that you choose to do. So I think this is the first little point of application. Moses wasn't looking for God at this point. By this stage, as an 80-year-old, you kind of get the impression he's given up. He's given up on himself. He's 80 years of age. No one wants to know him. He's a lowly shepherd. This is just me now. I'm just going to live out my days in exile out in the desert. But God shows up and and calls him to do something really big, really scary. There's a wonderful uh, Christian theologian by the name of Frederick Beekner who wrote this on the subject of God being in the everyday. Have a listen to this. Taking your children to school. Kissing your wife goodbye. Eating lunch with a friend. Trying to do a decent day's work. Hearing the rain patter against the window. Listen, he says, there is no event so commonplace that God isn't present within it. Do you like that? There's no event so commonplace that God isn't present within it. So God shows up in the form of this famous burning bush. This burning bush that doesn't burn up. It it, it doesn't get consumed. He tells Moses to take off his shoes or to, to take off his sandals because this is holy ground, apparently. What? This is the desert. This is not holy ground. This is not a temple. This is not some magnificent structure built to God. This is just wasteland. This is just pasture land. How is this holy ground? Wherever God shows up is is holy ground. Moses does, as he's told, he he humbles himself, he he takes off his shoes. This is a sign of vulnerability, of taking off your protection, of taking off that which protects you. It might be a bit of an an allusion back to the fall where, where Adam and Eve sewed animal skins to cover themselves, to hide their shame. It's an invitation from God to to be vulnerable. It's an invitation from God to come into his hospitality. You would take off your shoes when you entered somebody else's house. It's a, it's a sign of humility. This is God saying to Moses, come to me. Come under my protection. Come into, into, my, into my hospitality. It's interesting to note, too, that some of the commentators, I'd never... This is a famous event. Many of you have heard this before. I had never really thought that a burning bush actually for a shepherd wouldn't have been that uncommon. Shepherds themselves would have burnt bushes all the time to keep themselves warm. So it wasn't in and of itself something particularly out of the ordinary. It was the fact that it wasn't consumed, that it wasn't burnt up. So Moses actually just had to pay attention to his surroundings. He had to be curious enough to, to wonder what was going on. And so I'm wondering, do we sometimes just go through the motions without really looking for God in our, in our everyday surroundings? The other thing that I want us to, to note here, just very quickly before we move on to this famous little exchange between God and Moses, is this concept of the burning bush. It would have been common in that day to worship the bush itself. An event like this happening, it would have been common for people to bow down and to worship the bush 
itself. However, we don't worship the bush, we don't worship creation, we worship the creator behind it. Amen. This was a time of polytheism, of many gods, the gods of nature. You would worship the sun, you would worship the river god, the sea god. And so this is a revolutionary act from Moses to not actually worship creation itself. This is important today because, frankly, church, you need to have your antenna up because the Western world is kind of reverting to this old-school paganism of worshipping creation itself. They won't explicitly name it as such, but it is the seeds of it are still there. Be very careful. Have your antenna up. Um, certainly, I consider myself a keen environmentalist. I love nothing more than encountering God on a bushwalk. When I'm out, which way is the headland? Out here, when I'm walking along, uh, along the headlands, along the beaches, that's when I encounter God. I give praise to God. I'm, oh, thank you, Lord. I get to live here in this time, in this place. What a blessing it is. So I consider myself a, an environmentalist, but be very careful. We don't worship the environment. We worship the creator that is behind it. Some aspects of the modern environmental movement are, are tending now towards a sort of a neo-paganism of making the environment, of making the earth gay, a mother earth, uh, a god or an end in, 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 in herself. They personalize the earth. Um, God's call in Genesis chapter 1 to, for mankind to rule over creation drives these people crazy. But just be very, very careful. We're called to be good stewards of the earth but we're not called to worship the earth itself. We worship the God who, who made it. Now, on to Moses' little exchange with God. God calls him. He says, I've got a job for you, a big job. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses is understandably set back on his heels. Moses is understandably overawed. Moses understandably thinks, hang on for a second, God. You've got the wrong guy. Look at verse 11, if you've got it open. He says, who, me? Me, you've, God, you've got the wrong guy. Surely you're mistaken. You've got the wrong person, God. He says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to, to lead my people? It's a very human moment. It's a very understandable sort of a moment. If this is a job that's filled with risk, we know that. Well, the previous pharaoh has already tried to, to kill him. This is a risky job that Moses is being called to. He was a very reluctant hero. Friend, can you relate to Moses at this point? I know that I, I, certainly, I certainly can. But I want you to see God's response in verse 12. Have a look at God's response in verse 12. You see, God ignores Moses' question. <laughs> God doesn't even bother answering Moses' question of, who am I that I should do it? He, he says, no, look, I, I will be with you. It's a wonderful word of comfort from God. That, who, who am I? No, I will be with you, Moses. Moses wants to talk about Moses. He wants to talk about himself. God wants to talk about God. God wants Moses to be focusing on him, on, on God. Moses says, who am I? But it's almost as though God says, not important. <laughs> it's an important place for us all to get to, I think. Well, who am I? Am I? God says, not important. It's not actually important 
who you are. What's important is that I will be with you. Amen? I find this a wonderful word of comfort. We don't have to do it on our own. Thankfully, God's kingdom doesn't rest upon our shoulders. He calls us to partner with him, but he doesn't need us in, in, in like he, we have something that God desperately needs. Praise God, he doesn't need Pete Chapman. He calls us to work with him, but it matters not who Moses actually is. It matters not who Pete Chapman is. It doesn't really matter who you are. What matters is that God goes with us when he calls us. doesn't matter what Moses' resume says. doesn't matter what my resume says. As long as God is his leader, as long as God is his guide and his strength and his comfort, things will work out in God's time and in God's way. Notice also in verse 12 that God also gives Moses a bit of a promise. I will be with you and I'm going to give you some evidence. Once you've done this, you will worship me on this very mountain once more. What I want you to notice about this promise is that it's front-loaded with Moses' part of the bargain. Do you notice that? Moses actually has to step out and take this great leap of faith before he can realize God's promise of once again worshiping on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Right? So this, they will visit this very special place once more. But in order for that to happen, Moses actually does need to trust God. He actually needs to take that step of faith, that leap of, of faith. So again, another little point of application. Where is God calling you to step out into the unknown? There's a wonderful scene from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, a vast chasm where Indy can't see what's going on. He has to step out and trust God. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful illustration for many of us uh, still today. But in verse 13, if you've got it open, have a look. Moses is still questioning God. Moses is still procrastinating. God has promised to be with him. He's given him a promise. But Moses is still questioning God. He's still protesting at this point. This goes on for a little while. For those of us that are at camp next week, you're going to hear be hearing more about this. Moses, if you're thinking Moses is some lofty hero, he's a very human person. He keeps on protesting here in verse 13. He, he asks, well, what, what am I going to tell my fellow Israelites? What am I going to tell my fellow? What if they ask me? Who am I? They don't like me. You were here last week. They didn't respect him. So he's worried about what his own people are, are, are going to say. So he asks, well, what should I tell them? Or who should I tell them who you are? What is, what is your name? Moses is realizing that they're living in a world of many gods. He just needs to be identified, this particular God, out of many. But again... God ignores him. God doesn't give him an answer to his question, at least not straight away. He doesn't give him his, his name. Instead, God gives Moses perhaps the most profound statement that has ever been uttered. God simply says to Moses, I am who I am. Notice the contrast. Moses has said, who am I? God says, I am. It's an important little translation. It's an imprecise translation. Ancient Hebrew, it doesn't sort of have tense like we understand it in English, right? There is no am in the original Hebrew. A better translation may actually be, I will be who I will be. This is a God who is outside of time. This is a God who simply is. I heard one a Jewish theologian say recently that, you know, God's name is 
is. God simply is. God is, is absolute. God is the beginning and the end. He is the ultimate reality. He is the ultimate foundation of everything, of your life, of the Milky Way, of the cosmos. There is nothing that is separate from this God who simply is. Then and only then, once his absoluteness, his primacy is established, does, does God indeed give Moses his name? It's in verse 15, if you want to have a look at it. God says to Moses, tell the Israelites the Lord, which in Hebrew is the word Yahweh. If you've got it open in a modern English translation, you'll see the word Lord will be in all caps. Have you ever noticed that? In the Old Testament, it's Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters. Have you noticed that before? If you haven't, go back and have a look. Check it out. This is how modern English translations translate God's name, Yahweh. It's only four letters in the Hebrew. Hebrew doesn't, doesn't even have vowels. It's just the equivalent of Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, breath. This is, this is God's name. Uh, Jewish people still today won't say God's name, such as it. It's holiness. They say the word Adonai, which simply means the name. They won't actually speak God's name. They simply say the name, such as their, their reverence, such as the holiness for God. Yahweh simply is. I also want you to know every time you sing Alleluia, you are singing praise God. It's Yah is the shortened version of, of Yahweh. Hallelujah, praise Yah, Yahweh, praise Yahweh. You are singing praise God's name. You are singing like you are saying praise somebody. Like not praise Peter, we don't praise Tom or Jane or Mary. We praise Yahweh. This is the God who simply is the foundation of everything. Before we move on, I do think this is a really foundational doctrine, the doctrine of, of God that I want us as a church to understand. God's absoluteness means that he had never had a beginning, he never had an end. I know this staggers the mind. Every child at some point asks, who made God? And every wise parent has to shrug and simply say, no one made God, he always was just there. God's absoluteness means that God is the ultimate reality. There is no reality outside of God. God's absoluteness means that God is utterly independent. He's, nothing, he's not reliant upon anyone or anything. He doesn't take counsel from anybody. God's absolute being means that rather that everything is not God is completely dependent upon God. All that is not God is entirely secondary to God. The entire universe is utterly dependent upon God every moment by moment. God is deciding by sovereign will to keep it in being. Every cell in your body, every atom in your body only holds together because God is willing it moment by moment. God's absolute being means that God is constant. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and to ever. He's not on a self-improvement journey. God's absolute being means that he's the absolute standard of truth and beauty. There's no law book that God needs to consult to, to work out what's right or what's wrong. There's no standard of beauty. There's no encyclopedia that he needs to, to look up to find out how to operate the earth. He himself is the standard of beauty and of justice and of excellence. 
rightly known, there is nothing to be known without God. Of all the billions of facts that mankind has worked out, of every single little piece of information, all of it at the beginning and the end is dependent upon this fundamental truth that God is. God will simply be whoever he will be. And if we're not granted in that truth as a church, we're going to be so easily manipulated. I saw one, heard one commentator this week say, without this grounding in this truth, we're like a school of fish just going this way and that, just following one another. It's why people are so easily manipulated when they're not grounded in God's truth. We see it all the time today. People blow on this way and that because they're not grounded in the truth of an eternal God who determines what is right and true and what is just. Friend, can you see that our God, Yahweh, is vastly more worthy of your attention, vastly more worthy of your admiration, your enjoyment, than any of your hobbies, any of your pursuits, any of your agendas, any of your priorities. I've got a, a quote, and I'll move on from the wonderful uh, John Piper, who's sort of one of the elder statesmen of what might be called the, the reformed theological world. John Piper put it this way. He said, it's a cosmic outrage. John Piper can get a bit fire and brimstone. It's a cosmic outrage, a billion times over, he says, that God is ignored, that he is treated as negligible, that he is questioned, that he is criticised, that he is treated as virtually nothing and given less thought than the carpet in people's houses. Don't you love that? It's true, isn't it? That is how God gets treated, as lesser importance than the colour of the carpet in our houses. So my prayer for us as a church is that we will be a simply a God-besotted people who is grounded in God, who is the the foundation of everything that we say and we do in this place, that he will be our driving passion. But back to Moses here in the desert. He's been called by God to do something really big and, and scary, but he's assured that by God that he'll be with him. So let me ask you, are you confident that God is on your side? Do you know that God is, is with you? Do you sometimes feel weak ill-equipped for what God has called you to? It's okay to feel that way because I'll put up my hand up and say, I feel that way all the time. Ministers often feel this way. Quite often I think people think, oh, Pete's got a degree, he's been to Bible college, he has all the answers. Friends, let me assure you, that's not the case. I don't have all the answers. I often feel ill-equipped. I often feel weak. I often feel as though I'm not resourced for the journey ahead. I have five wonderful reminders of my humbleness and my brokenness, that being my young and beautiful wife and my four children. I'm just a humble, broken human being struggling to work it out. And yes, the church has given me a particular area of responsibility, but when the phone calls and I have to go and have a difficult conversation where people are hurting, where there is... No easy answers. Where Why would God allow this where there's no answer I can bring that's going to really provide a satisfactory answer? Where I, I know that there's going to be conflict, where there's going to be a difficult theological situation. I don't put on my cape, and, ah, someone's flashed the Batman sign in the sky, super pastor to the rescue. I simply cry, oh, Lord, 
Oh God, help me. Speak through me. Use me now. Go with me. Use me in this situation. Have your way through me. I want us all to know, to claim the promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? You should have know that one. Romans, mighty Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Think too, I want to leave you with a final little observation. Think too, Jesus himself faced a, a similar situation. He gave us, in fact, a, a similar charge, didn't he? Jesus himself, that Yahweh, God made man, God in skin, came down to live as one of us, limited himself. Before he departed to be at his father's side, he, he also gave us a charge, gave us a mighty calling, gave us a, a huge job to fulfill. Do you know what we call that charge at the Matthew chapter 28? It's the Great Commission. And what did he tell us to do? To go out into the nations and to what? Make disciples, right? We don't we not just do church, right? We don't do this is, what we do on a Sunday is a means to an end. This is this is not the end goal. We gather together so that we can encourage each other, uplift one another, then go out and to make disciples of the nations, making uh, disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then. Does anyone recall what Jesus said, a little word of encouragement as we go? And I will be with you to the very end of the age. Isn't that good news? Jesus goes with us even to the very end of the age, to the close of the age on the mighty calling that he has given you and I still today. So let me leave you with a few application questions coming out of this, this weighty text today. Firstly, do you need to pay closer attention? Do you need to pay closer attention to what God might be doing around you? To hear God call you by name. He calls out to Moses, Moses, Moses. He's calling you by name. He might not be called to liberate a nation, but he is calling you for, for something this year. Do you need to see God at work or at rest, at play in your everyday surroundings? Are you willing to see the miraculous in the mundane in your everyday life? Perhaps you need to take off your shoes. Perhaps you need to take off your sandals. Bill's got some sandals down in the front row. I've got some more formal shoes. And whatever they are, taking off your shoes is a sign of humility, a sign of vulnerability. You need to become vulnerable before God. You need to enter into his hospitality humble yourself to come under God's protection. You need to see the pagan false gods of our age for what they truly are, regardless of how seemingly innocuous that they appear to be. You need to stop making excuses and simply step out in faith. Have you been trying to tell God, who am I to do this? Or have you been trying to tell God, you've got the wrong person, God? Has that been you in the first couple of months of this year? Perhaps you've simply been procrastinating like Moses procrastinates here, trying to change the subject when you sense God draw near and calling you to action. Maybe you just need to return to the knowledge that God simply is. He will be whoever he will be. He is God. He is sovereign. He's the foundation of your life. He's the foundation of the cosmos. 
Have you been consumed by the minutiae of life? This is a huge one today, massive one today, massive one for Aussies out there with all of our stuff and those of us in the church subject to it as well. We have plenty of stuff in the church. Our stuff consumes us, the minutiae of life, the carpet, the coffee, the computer, the car, the companies, the companions. Are, is all of that stuff distracting you from hearing God's call upon your life? If so, return to God, the, who simply is the foundation of everything. Do you need to call on God by name to know his name? A lot of people that I speak to, when they find out I'm a minister, they, talk, they like to talk to me about how much they know about the Bible. They know about God. They know of God. They don't really know him. You need to enter into a personal relationship with, with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who made everything. And finally, can I ask you, do you need to remind yourself this morning that whatever God calls you to, that that he has promised to go with you, that he will be with you in whatever challenge he puts in front of you. So friends, know this morning that no matter how far gone you are like Moses, an exile, a sojourner, a stranger in a strange land, no matter how far along your journey you are, remember Moses is 80 years old at this point when asked by God to do something really, really big. No matter who you are, where you've gone, what you've done, Know that God can transform a desolate land to holy ground. Know that God can transform a desolate man like Moses into a great leader. So perhaps, just perhaps, God can call you and can work wonders through you too in 2023. And I encourage you to go out this week knowing it's not so much important in terms of who am I, but important to know who is he. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, loving Lord in heaven, Yahweh, our creator, our sustainer, maker of everything. The ultimate reality in this life and the next. Father, give us courage. Give us ears to hear your call. Give us comfort. Let us know your greatness, your vastness, your power, and your compassion. Help us to go, even when we feel weak and want to say no. Even when we want to make excuses or change the subject, break us down, we pray. Have your way in us, we pray. Help us to trust, not in ourselves, but in knowing that you are with us. Keep our eyes open to see all of your surprising ways this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.